Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, much to discuss on Zack Snyder's Justice League, which I liked so much, I watched it twice. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. The Mighty Ducks are back. I'll review the new Disney Plus series about everybody's favorite hockey team of misfits. And we'll tell you what we thought about a documentary that has grabbed the attention of many over the last couple of weeks on Netflix, The Last Blockbuster. This world is divided. Too separate to be one. No protectors here. This world will fall. Like all the others. For dark side. This guy's probably fought hundreds of thousands of other super beings on the other planets. He's destroyed, right? And we have to assume he's won. I don't care how many demons he's fought and how many hells. He's never fought us. Not us united. Zack Snyder's Justice League arrived on Crave last Thursday. As I mentioned, I watched it twice. Uh, But Jeff, you were kind of wondering when you might get to it. You got to it. I did get to it. Uh, I've put aside, well, most of my Saturday. (laughs) I got through it in uh, three installments, Brett. Uh, Do you want me to launch right into the whole thing right now? Yeah. All right. Okay, here we go. Well, I don't remember a lot of the original Justice League. It is obvious, you know, this new Snyder Cut is vastly different aside from the basic plot of the heroes teaming up to try to stop this bad guy Steppenwolf from getting all the mother boxes. It's much more coherent than the original version, but I mean, if you have four hours to tell a story, it should be more coherent. It actually feels like the singular vision of someone as well, and I'm not going to say it's the greatest movie of all time or anything, but it's a good superhero movie, and I thought those four hours flew by. Like I said, I watched it in three chunks over a day because I couldn't sit there like a slug for four straight hours, but I would say the pacing was excellent. I really think that might be one of Zack Snyder's strongest suits because uh, the Batman versus Superman director's cut, which I'll talk about a little later in the show, added an extra 30 minutes to an already two and a half hour long movie. So that's a three hour total movie. And that one's also way better than the theatrical cut. Snyder's just good at making really long movies, apparently. Uh, And this is such a unique scenario. There have been, you know, director's cuts before, but usually the changes or additions are pretty minor where it's the same movie but just with a few extra scenes or something like that. This is almost entirely different. Uh, The scene where Bruce Wayne goes to get Aquaman at the beginning and the fighting at the end were the only scenes that were still familiar to me, really, and they were changed quite a bit from the original movie. I imagine they'll at some point teach this at film school just to show how you can take so much of the same raw footage and turn out two very different movies. And in this new Snyder's cut, uh, the character of Cyborg actually becomes a real character. He didn't register much in the 2017 version, but he's the absolute linchpin of the Snyder Cut. The Flash was also kind of shafted in the earlier version. The CGI is much improved. The the Superman's face looks normal for one thing. They didn't have to erase his Mission Impossible mustache for this like they did in the 2017 version, which was one of the most awkward things you've ever seen in a movie. And he has this, uh, there's a a black Superman suit that I thought was very, very cool. And I forgot how much I like Ben Affleck as Batman. I feel bad that he got stuck in the mess before this, especially 
you know, he sort of bailed from the series earlier than intended, I think because they were so poorly received. And now with everyone, you know, loving him again in the role and loving the new Snyder Cut, it's probably too late for him to come back. And it's especially complicated because this Robert Pattinson Batman movie is on the horizon, even though it's not connected to this particular DCEU story. It'll be interesting to see what, if anything, from this becomes canon into the Flash, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman movies down the line. Uh, I would also say the music is still great. I still love that Superman theme in the DCEU. It'll never be iconic like the John Williams score, but it's really, really good. Uh, I, I honest to God, got like goosebumps the first time they played it in the Snyder Cut. It's like, oh, Superman's coming back. That's right. Uh, literally, the two best superhero themes for my money are the two different Superman themes. Uh, a couple, it's not all great, though. There's a few bad things. The, the Mother Boxes, that's still a stupid name. And it's also a lame MacGuffin after going through everything with the MCU and the Infinity Saga. But, I mean, what are you going to do? That's in the comics, I'm sure. And comics uh, notoriously rip each other off all the time. So we're kind of stuck with that. And while cool, it's still not as much fun as the MCU movies. But they're also not trying to be. And I think it is better to stick with the same tone throughout the movie than trying to shoehorn jokes like the Joss Whedon version of Justice League did back in 2017. And for a four-hour movie, it did still seem like Batman and Wonder Woman didn't get a lot of interesting character beats. Everything they said and did was just plot-driven, just exposition. Although Batman does get a chunk in the epilogue that's at the end of the movie. And I love that epilogue. And in the context of how this movie came to be, you know, that's fine. But I don't think... It, it sort of, like, sets up a bunch of sequels and stuff. And I don't think they're going to follow up on any of that. So it's kind of hard to get excited about it. Um also, the rated R-ness of it all caught me off guard. I didn't realize that going in. And all of a sudden... Like Batman said the F word. And I was like, wait, what? The Batman can say bad words like that? That kind of caught me off guard. But uh, overall, it was uh, it was a breath of fresh. I couldn't believe how much I was enjoying it. And uh, like I said, it's not the best superhero movie of all time, but it's a good one. So I'm giving the Snyder Cut three and a half couch cushions out of five, Brett. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for Zack Snyder's Justice League, which again is sort of a re- mix a reboot of the 2017 <laughs> film that DC put out which was not well received the movie that brings together the likes of Superman Batman Wonder Woman the Flash Aquaman and Cyborg should have been much better but it just it was studio garbage as far as I'm concerned like I don't think I've ever watched a superhero movie where I've enjoyed it but also simultaneously instantly forgotten it like when i walked out of the theater after seeing the first avengers movie i was on cloud nine and when i walked out after seeing justice league i basically didn't care and was just it was looking at my buddy saying okay where are we gonna go for a drink now like i <laughs> let's just move on so this was a transformative experience in the sense that Got to see this movie, as you pointed out, basically redone. One of the things that I really liked about it, too, is how they break it into parts. So there's the opening sort of setup that explains what's happening and gets us into it. And then it sort of fades to black for a moment and says part one. Uh, Don't count on it, Batman, was the name of the title of that first part. And it's broken up into six parts and an epilogue. So... Even though it's four hours, it's almost as though I feel like they put those in as though to say, if you want to watch this like it's episodic television as opposed to a four hour movie, 
here's where we think you should press pause or here's where we think you should stop it and resume when you do come back. So I really liked that. And that somehow made it feel like it wasn't this four-hour monster. It felt more like I was binging a television show. Like when people complain about, oh, it's a movie that's four hours long, we've all... I shouldn't say we've all, but many of us have sat through four, five, six, seven hours in a row of one television show. How is that any different? So I kind of liked how they did that. It was sort of a nice little head fake, I think, that managed to appease you know, those who are watching it as a movie and those who might just want to watch it as a TV show. And I thought it had way more heart. Then the first movie, I thought the the fact that they took out some of the stupid humor that Joss Whedon put in, some of the sexist jokes and humor that he put in, they got rid of those, and I thought that was great. And Aquaman, he felt more... I like how he was a bit more serious in that first Justice League. He almost felt like a sideshow uh, where they, I think they took out... There's uh, does he say my man? There, he, they took out one thing where I can't remember. He did if, say it. He did. Okay, he said my man, yeah. but I think they took out another thing where he, where he, some sort of a cheer or he, he made some sort of a joke or I, I don't know what it was. He went. That's what I'm talking about. After he smashed the guy. No. Oh, <laughs> I, well, I think it was something along those lines. I don't think that's exactly what it was, but yeah, they took some of that out. They made him, where they took him more seriously and. I just really, really enjoyed it. I loved that they went to the black suit instead, and it just felt more cohesive. Like, that was the problem with that first movie. They they were mandated to get it in under two hours. It was, they were told by the studio, two hours max. So when you take a, a story that's meant to be, or Zack Snyder probably never meant for it to be four hours, but since he was given the green light, carte blanche by... Warner Brothers and HBO Max to do what he wanted. Why not make it four hours? And so much slow-mo. I heard somebody complaining that it was too much slow-mo. I didn't mind it. I sort of thought that. I thought, oh, this could be like a two and a half hour movie if there weren't any slow-mo. Yeah, and I think I didn't mind it because this was such a unique experience, right? Like we've never seen such a groundswell of action from fans to actually... Uh, order a studio to re to release the Snyder cut. So the fact that we were just getting to see it, I think I was just so thrilled to get to see it because we thought for years that this was a pipe dream. It was never going to happen. So now we actually got to see the justice league he wanted to make. And I agree with your assessment. This is not the best superhero movie ever made, but it was way better than the first one. So check it out on crave. I think last week as well, I should point out that I said when I went looking for it on my PVR, when I did, the Shaw Blue Curve when I pressed the microphone and just said Zack Snyder's Justice League, it didn't bring up the the crave. It didn't bring it up as something that I could just click on and watch. It just showed me where it was on the schedule, but that has since changed. So you don't have to dive into the Crave app to find it. It should just pop up on your PVR as a streaming option. Uh, or if you've got a smart TV, you can access the Crave, the Crave app through there as well. So I'm going to give it four couch cushions out of five. Like I said, I watched it Thursday night and then I watched it again Friday night. I, like I needed to watch it again. And uh, Junkie XL redoing the entire score tremendous just everything about this movie was so much better than that first one and it actually made both jeff and i unbeknownst to each other (laughs) go back and revisit (laughs) some of the dc movies so we'll tell you what we thought of those next you're listening to the couch potatoes
I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes, and this past week we both watched Zack Snyder's Justice League, which was released last Thursday, March 18th, on Crave. And after we watched those, the movie, we thought, let's go back and watch some of the other DC movies. So I started with 2013's Man of Steel. What's the S stand for? It's not an S. On my world, it means hope. Well, here it's an S. How about... Excuse me. So when Man of Steel came out in 2013, I remember liking it, but I did not love it. and, And in fact, I was kind of disappointed by it. And I think... Maybe part of the problem there is I was always hoping that Brandon Routh would get another shot because I I liked Superman Returns for the most part and I was hoping to see Brandon Routh return to the role but they just sort of squashed that and started over. Henry Cavill is great as Superman but I think I just had shades of the old Superman movies stuck in my head and it was too fresh so it's been long enough that I could watch this almost fresh because this is I think the fourth time I've seen this movie. But this is the first time where I completely loved it. Part of the reason is something you mentioned, Jeff. The score. The musical score. What is it? Hans Zimmer who does this one? Yep. Yeah. He uh, put together such a great score for this. And you and I had an opportunity, actually, to see this performed live when we co-hosted a show with a symphony orchestra. The Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra did a show called Superhero Showdown, and this is one of the themes they played. And I think this may have been the one that caught me off guard the most. It was so emotionally stirring. And all through that movie, I was just like goosebumps because of that theme. And uh, I enjoyed Michael Shannon as General Zod. I just liked the the whole Kryptonian culture and everything that happened kind of made sense, whereas... Again, the first time I saw it, I was too busy comparing it to what I knew from previous films. So, Man of Steel, definitely worth a second look. And I hope to see more, much more of Henry Cavill as Superman. And it maybe even want to watch, rewatch a movie that I hated the first time I saw it. And that was the one you're about to tell us about. Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. You're going to go to war. He's the one that brought the war to us. Count the dead. Thousands of people. What's next? Millions. He has the power to wipe out the entire human race. And if we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. And we have to destroy him. Rated PG-13. Now, it's Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. The ultimate edition is what I watch. That's what the Blu-ray is called. And it's sort of like the Snyder cut. It's his director's cut. The theatrical release, two and a half hours long. This one is three hours long. It's just 30 minutes of extra footage added into it. And it's really good. I mean, the theatrical cut was a 29% ranking on Rotten Tomatoes. The main knock against it, of course, was the bleak tone. That's the, the knock against all these movies. And I think it's just because the MCU set the bar so high that that's sort of what we expect from these and they take themselves too seriously but i think now we're used to it and again in theaters like you were with uh, man of steel i was sort of underwhelmed with batman versus superman um i think 
it's just the expectations are too high. I think that's especially true for Batman movies for some reason. Now that they've been brought down to a reasonable place and we're used to the tone, Batman versus Superman looks a lot better every time I watch it. Um, it's still kind of you know dumb that the Batman Superman friendship hinges on their moms having the same name, and Doomsday looks like a cave troll from Lord of the Rings. But it's still a pretty good story, and the good stuff is really good. I mean, there's that Batman fight scene in the warehouse at the end of the movie that's probably the best Batman fight scene period of all movies and I think again Ben Affleck is great as Bruce Wayne Cavill had already played Superman once of course so that was a known quantity going in ditto Amy Adams as Lois Lane and then Jesse Eisenberg is fun as Lex Luthor probably the only thing that would really count as fun in this movie is his performance on rewatch after now after the Snyder Cut the dreams and premonitions and those sorts of things in this movie also carry a little more weight they make a little more sense and in fact add to the notion that he did have some real plans for the DC Extended Universe which I guess we will not see come to the conclusion that Snyder intended. Yeah, that's right. They, they're they they're sort of using the same direction, but they're going in a different direction. And I want to tell you about one of those movies that's kind of gone in a different direction in a moment. And then some big news from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Details next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We're going to stop talking superheroes shortly. We want to tell you about this last blockbuster documentary on Netflix. But I just want to quickly mention that Part of the DC movie revisit on my side was this one. But Aquaman, you cannot marry a woman without gills. You're from two different worlds. Oh, I've wasted my life. Sorry, Jeff, I can't talk about Aquaman without playing that clip. We've been playing that <laughs> clip since we started doing this show like 15 years ago. So, yeah, Aquaman, which came out a couple of years ago starring Jason Momoa. When I saw it in theaters, I liked it, but it was a lot. But I, again, much like Man of Steel, I enjoyed it more watching it at home. I've been looking for you. Your half-brother, King Orm, is about to declare war upon the surface world. The only way to stop this war is for you to take your rightful place as king. Trust me, I am no king. You do your best thinking when you're not thinking at all. That was the worst pep talk ever. Yeah, so when this movie came out, it was good, and it got good reviews. It did well. It was a hit. And generally, I think people liked it and critics liked it, but they all, everybody pretty much said, like, this is a lot. Like, the final battle scene, the underwater battle scene, is was as big as any battle that's ever been on screen. It's just bonkers. It's completely bonkers, and I think that's why I enjoyed it more this second time around, because Aquaman was... <laughs> I like Aquaman. I think he's a cool character, but he's always been sort of the butt of jokes of the comic book world. This guy, oh, what's his superpower? He talks to fish? No, he's so much more than that. But they sort of embrace that with this movie, and I think the whole kitchen sink mentality really worked here because they just said, you know what, this is a, a silly character, so let's just have some fun with it. And in turn, they produced a really fun movie. And because I watched it at home and was able to press pause and walk away for a second here and there, it didn't feel like that much. And it's just so colorful and the visual effects are amazing. So that was another cool thing that I liked about it. It's so, such a vivid 
film to watch. Uh, it's just pure fun. So highly recommend checking out Aquaman if you've never seen it. And now, by the way, I can't remember. Did you watch Aquaman? I did see Aquaman in theaters, and I, I did enjoy it, and it had the lighter tone than a lot of the other uh, DCU movies that we've been talking about did. And it, it was fun, but uh, I, I'll, I'll watch the next one. I don't really remember what happened in the first one. Yeah, and I, I sort of forgot all the stuff that happened in the first one, too, so I was happy to revisit it. I think it'll be one of those movies where I can watch it every, say, three, four years and sort of yeah. fall right back into the water with all of the Atlanteans. But now we must switch from DC to Marvel because big news in the MCU concerning Black Widow. We have to go back to where it all started. So they never do that to anyone again. We're a family. We fight with you. You won't win. I've always found it best. To look into the past. Okay, you got a plan, or shall I just stay duck and cover? My plan was to drive us away. Well, your plan sucks. So Black Widow, of course, was supposed to come out in May of 2020, and it's been pushed back a number of times. Well, Disney is now getting ready to release two of its major upcoming films, Cruella and Marvel's Black Widow, simultaneously in theaters and on its streaming platform, Disney+. Plus. So this is from RollingStone.com. They say the announcement reflects continued pandemic safety concerns and signals that major Hollywood studios are still hedging their bets that audiences will not be fully ready to return to theaters even as more people get vaccinated and COVID-19 restrictions begin to loosen. While Cruella will keep its May 28th release date, Black Widow has now been pushed from May 7th to July 9th. Both will be available on Disney Plus with Premier Access, which comes with a $30 U.S. rental fee. I think in Canada it ends up being $35. Disney and Pixar also plan to release their next offering, Luca, directly on Disney Plus on June 18th. And they shuffled uh, the deck on a bunch of other movies like the Ryan Reynolds uh, movie Free Guy. That's now set to arrive August 13th. I think that was supposed to debut in this past December. So that looks like a fun movie. So anyway, yeah, pandemic continuing to cause problems. They were hoping they could get a big theatrical release for Black Widow, but it looks like they are settling for this. Either way, I'm pumped. I want to see that movie very, very much. It is going to be a streaming blockbuster. And hey, on that subject... In a world where video stores have all but disappeared... I mean, look at the James Bond section. Every James Bond movie. Every Avatar movie, because, you know, there's just the one so far. I hate late fees, but I understand that you have to do it, otherwise people just keep those videos. I know I did. I know I did. <laughs> Meet Sandy, the blockbuster mom. So um, when I started in 2004, um, Blockbuster Video had Nine, roughly 9,000 stores and over 60,000 employees. Um, and now... Do I miss renting from a physical store? No, absolutely not. I don't think anybody does. The Last Blockbuster. This is a new documentary that was released on Netflix just a couple of weeks ago. It's a, It was actually produced and released last year, but it finally debuted on Netflix. Jeff, did you watch the last blockbuster? 
I did. It's an interesting documentary. I'm a little bit worried about how that lady is going to take it when they are finally one day shut down and uh, this last blockbuster is in Bend, Oregon. And I asked myself, would I rent there if I lived in Bend? I bet I would have a membership and I bet I'd go in there probably, you know, two times a year. The nostalgia was well and good. It was a fun trip down memory lane. But honestly, I think we'd still all take the convenience of streaming or renting from our cable box or whatever at this point. I really very much enjoyed it as well. It was such a nice nostalgia trip. And it was interesting to see because there was this assumption that Blockbuster died because of Netflix. And that's not the case. Blockbuster even had the opportunity to purchase Netflix for $50 million. And of course, it's now worth billions and billions of dollars. But it wasn't Netflix, of course, that contributed to it, but it was just poor management and there were other things involved. So uh, we won't get into that. Just watch the documentary. The one, my biggest complaint with this was the lack of context about some of the people they were interviewing. Like they interviewed Kevin Smith. Okay, he's a. Famous filmmaker. It makes sense that he would weigh in on something like this. But then the lead singer from Savage Garden popped up, which I thought I was th- neat. Yeah. I, th- I thought I had missed something. I sort of assumed after a while, just because I know they interviewed a comedian, uh, Paul Shear, who used to work at a blockbuster. And I sort of assumed that most of those other people being interviewed, like the Savage Garden singer or the Smash Mouth guitar player or whoever he was, uh, I assume they all used to work there at some point. Yeah, that that was the sort of assumption, but it, w- it would have been easier or better had they just had everybody come on and say, hello there, I'm so-and-so from Savage Garden. I used to work at Blockbuster in 1992 yeah. or whatever year, right? Then, yeah, yeah, then yeah. there's no mystery, there's no distraction, because I ended up having to back it up like 60 seconds when I saw him come on. And I was completely (laughs) taken out of the movie thinking Savage Garden. Like, what does this have to do with Blockbuster? And my song with my first girlfriend was Savage Garden's Truly Madly Deeply. And then I went and took a quick trip down memory lane. And then (laughs) I remembered, oh yeah, I'm watching a documentary. Rewind. So I didn't like that. I think they could have done Hmm. that better. But this this film isn't trying to win any awards I don't think it was just meant to sort of be a nice little trip down memory lane and I still long for the days of I would still go in and rent a movie like a rent a blu-ray I would rather go out and rent a physical blu-ray than pay the five bucks or whatever it costs to rent it digitally because it's just if I'm going to pay money for it I feel like I'd rather have something tangible if that makes any sense maybe I'm just an old man that sort of makes sense. I also, for me, the other thing was, as I was feeling nostalgic, you know, you tend to forget the bad and remember the good because then when I stopped and really thought about it, it's like, you know, I used to complain about Blockbuster all the time and it wasn't even my number one video store. I preferred Jumbo Video because they had more old movies. Blockbuster didn't have a great selection of like movies from the seventies and stuff like that. So, and I had some other issues with Blockbuster. We won't get into all that, but uh, it just video stores in general, I did that wave of nostalgia hits pretty hard when you watch this thing if you grew up with this thing yeah i actually had a problem with blockbuster too for many years i i think i liked roger's video and there were other stores as well i just missed the video stores in yeah. general i think the, the the whole point of maybe I, why i would prefer to go out and physically rent it is because you feel like okay this is mine for the next 24 hours or 48 hours or whatever i earned this so now i'm really going to appreciate it whereas when you, when you just pull up your remote and press play i don't know it takes out i think it takes out some of the fun but 
I like I said, we could just be old men yelling at clouds. In a moment, <laughs> Jeff's going to tell you about something mighty making its debut on Disney+. Plus. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. I was going to watch and review one of the Oscar-nominated Best Picture movies this week, but then something else came up. I was delivered a screener to the following, new on Disney+, Plus this weekend. It's a new show called The Mighty Ducks Game Changers. <laughs> I gotta cut you. If you can't be great at hockey, it's like, don't bother. I want you to think about all the other kids who've been told that they're too small or too slow. They just wanna get out there and play. Let's start our own team. All we need is an ice rink. You lost? If you're looking at red skates, that's up front. Tell me the underdogs are gonna come through in the end. You gotta make this happen for yourself. Why do you care so much? Because you care. Did you see that? Oh my gosh! Nothing but that net! That was crazy! Nothing but net! British men's <laughs> basketball! The Mighty Ducks Game Changers is a new six-part series on Disney+, Plus, the latest addition to the Mighty Ducks Cinematic Universe, Brett. <laughs> As you likely recall, there was a movie called The Mighty Ducks in the early 90s. The movie was pretty popular about a bunch of misfit kids in Minneapolis on a minor hockey team coached by Emilio Estevez. The main kid was Joshua Jackson, a.k.a. Pacey Witter from Dawson's Creek, and Emilio fell in love with his mom, and the team was crappy, and then they got good, and I assume they won the big game at the end because that's how those movies go. I actually watched it about a year ago, but I can't remember how it ends. I assume it was happy. I also watched D2, The Mighty Ducks, and there was a third movie as well, which I don't think I've seen. Now, the movie was successful enough. It basically launched a whole genre of films, kids' sports movies. Of course, the Bad News Bears had come out in the 70s, and while that is about a Little League baseball team, it's not really a kid's movie. The Disney-fied Mighty Ducks really was for kids, though, and it wasn't too long before we got others like the Sandlot and Little Giants, a sort of a Mighty Ducks for every different sport. It's also a rare hockey movie. Hockey does not lend itself well to movies, for starters. It's just not that big a deal in the U.S. And, of course, things like, you know, face masks and pads make it hard to see who's who, So the and the geography of the game is hard to shoot in a way that makes sense to to the viewer it's on ice it's awkward frankly finding good actors who can skate is probably a challenge as well i'm pretty sure pacey got the gig in the first movie because he could skate and i know a lot of other hockey movies are very populated with canadians for that reason alone so now we have this new series, and it picks up the story. Emilio Estevez returns 30 years later as Gordon Bombay, former pro hockey player, sort of, and one-time coach of the original Mighty Ducks. Now he has abandoned hockey again. He runs this rundown ice rink where he only allows people to come in for figure skating or pleasure skating. No hockey allowed. There's a big sign that says so. Meantime, the Mighty Ducks have become the number one team in the state. They've won 10 championships, and all the kids aspire to make that team, which includes young Evan, who's been a Duck for a few years, and it's his life. At least, you know, it was. The series starts with the beginning of a new season, and his group of Ducks are moving up from the 9 to 11 age tier to the 12 to 14 tier, and Evan does not make 
the cut. He is let go from the team. He's devastated, of course, but his mom, played by Lauren Graham, a.k.a. Lorelai from the Gilmore Girls, is kind of relieved because the other parents are these hideous, serious hockey parents whom she cannot stand, and she doesn't think kids need this much pressure. And hockey should be fun. It shouldn't be work. It should be fun. So she decides to start a new team for her son, a new team of misfits who are not good enough for the Ducks. It's the same origin story as the first movie, but this time the Ducks are the bad guys. Evan starts recruiting players at school while Mom looks for a home rink they can use, which, of course, brings her to... Emilio Estevez, he doesn't want hockey at his rink, but he needs the money, but he won't be the coach, but I assume at some point he will become the coach. The other kids on um, on the team are indeed a bunch of misfits. Uh, the main one is this nerdy kid who hosts a podcast about the youth hockey scene, and there's a, a bunch of other sort of different kinds of kids in there. It's pretty typical of what you would expect. I've watched the first two episodes. There are six altogether, and so far it's sort of just really been about putting the team together and that sort of thing. It looks like it will end up being a situation where Emilio slowly comes around and joins the team as a coach, or at least you know coaches Lauren Graham on how to be a coach, something like that. I will say, uh, most notably, that it really is geared towards kids I sort of rolled my eyes a lot of the time, but I get that kids will, you know, dig it. For grown-ups, though, if you're tuning in because you like the Mighty Ducks when you were a kid and you think this will scratch that nostalgia itch, I mean, give it a shot, but it might leave you a little cold because it really is meant for littler kids. And so that's it. I mean, the Mighty Ducks, Game Changers, out now on Disney+. Plus. They'll be dropping one episode a week for the next six weeks. They're not all together all at one time, and most episodes seem to be between 30 and 40 minutes long each. Just want to quickly mention this before we go. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. Your number's still 911? Alrighty then. No, the guy with the rubber glove was surprisingly gentle. Yummy! Losers? Get him out of here! Losers! Let's go, Ace! Losers! Let me get hurt! I got so excited when I saw this headline, Jeff, on ETCanada.com. It's official. Ace Ventura 3 is in the works in an announcement nobody saw coming. Jim Carrey's iconic pet detective will be returning to the screen with the third movie in the Ace Ventura franchise in the works for Amazon. The first movie came out back in 1994. No word yet if Jim Carrey is actually going to be in this, but I don't see how you make a new Ace Ventura pet detective movie without... Jim Carrey. It has to be him or just don't do it at all. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.